Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. My name is Mari, and I am an alcoholic. And I'm so grateful to be here and grateful to be sober. My dry date is the 10th of August, 1984. My, thank you, God. My group is the Third Tradition Group in Markham, Ontario. I have a sponsor. She has a sponsor. And I am an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous and very grateful to be so. I am very grateful to be here this morning with you. Uh, I had to cancel this for a couple of years because they kept me in confinement in uh, Canada. Um, <laughs> different kind of confinement, though. It was better than it used to be. Um, but I would like so much to thank Lee uh, for all the taping he does. It enables us to listen to tapes even when we can't get to meetings and all the work he's doing. And also Jerry, uh, who's, who's a great helper, and uh, Amanda and the committee. What a wonderful job you put on. And you, you, just, you just bring a real light. Oh. Thank you. Um, and I would like to thank Gail, who came to the airport. It was very difficult for her um, trying to find me. Um, and eventually she found me. Um, but it was a better experience than I've had recently when my... <laughs> Thank you, Gail. Um, Somebody picked me up recently uh, that was my host and got me in her car and said, Okay, honey, here we go. And I'm like, What is that? She said, Oh, it's a breathalyzer, honey. Don't you love us? Huh? <laughs> and look at us here, all bright and shiny and bush-eyed and bunny-tailed and just lovely on a Saturday morning. I woke up this morning and uh, so grateful to wake up sober. I knew which country I was in. <laughs> I don't know if you've had the experience. I used to have blackouts. And I'd wake up and just call the operator to see what hotel I was in or what town I was in. And sometimes you hear, no speak of the English, you know. And uh, So here I am at Girls Dock, Atlanta, in the United States of America. I'm glad to be here. Um, so... I'm doing step four this morning and step five. Uh, in 1984, I had a slip after a few months of sobriety. Um, I won't get into why I had that slip because really it was about my children, it was about selfishness, it was about just one more time desiring to drink. I just couldn't, I, I could not accept the situation of having lost my children. They had just come to visit me all the way from Jamaica and I couldn't bear for them to go back again and I drank because I'm selfish, self-centered and self-will run right. And uh, someone had asked me to say the third step prayer after that drink and I knelt down I said the third step prayer and I just have never wanted a drink again since the 10th of August 1984 and I don't know what happened. However, um, when I was a 
few weeks sober uh, after that last slip, I got shingles. Horrendous shingles. It was a shock at not drinking, I think. And, <laughs> and I was lying in bed, and of course I didn't take any medication. I refused to take medication. And I, I was in a lot of pain, and uh, but I was in a lot of psychic pain. Because, you see, the truth is that one of the reasons I couldn't bear sobriety was I hated myself. I hated myself. I was full of shame and guilt. You know, I'll just tell you a little bit that <clears throat> I drank away my children, I drank away my life, I drank away my family, I ended up living on the street uh, at the bottom of Lincoln Road on Miami Beach, and uh, my life down there was like going through a sewer in a glass bottom boat. My life down there was being used and thrown away like an old piece of used cloth. I had no dignity left. I had no humanity left. That is the awareness of alcoholism. What is baffling to me, even today, and I don't know why, I don't know what happened, I don't know how God managed to give us this wonderful program, because remember, prior to 1935, chronic alcoholics like you and me are doomed to die. Right? 1935. That's not that long ago. This is precious. This is precious. I mean, there was another cure for alcoholism found in 1939 by a Portuguese doctor, but it was called a lobotomy. (laughs) Right? right. I mean, some people think we need a lobotomy, but... um, So, so I, I was... I was so full, and also, I was not a nice person. I had done terrible things. You see, to me, the illness of alcoholism is the dark night of the soul. The illness of alcoholism took me to many dark places. But the truth is that I was never, ever, I never had a moral compass. I was born in Glasgow, Scotland. I was born into a good Catholic family, a really good moral living family Um, I was taught nothing but how to be good I had no capacity for it I had a never ending ability for badness right (laughs) never ending ability and um, lying, cheating, stealing from an early age all the stuff I get into I was promiscuous from age 15 Um, I just I'm not going to get into a list of my sins here, but I was not a good person. And when I found alcohol, it gave me a relief. Alcohol seemed to change my personality, so I never thought about all the stuff I used to do. I was all right again. You know, I could start a whole new life until it didn't work anymore. So I was lying in bed with about five weeks sobriety. And I knew that if I didn't do a fifth step, a fourth and a fifth, I was going to drink again because it was the only way I could get relief from me me I couldn't stand me the bondage of self was going to kill me how do I escape self and I remember 
I was lying there and I read every piece of AA approved literature I could get my hands on at that time. And then I read when Bill Wilson was in Tullman's Hospital and he had this experience um, where he never wanted to drink again. That's what had just happened to me about five weeks ago. I had, well, it wasn't like Bill's, but it was just saying the third step prayer and not wanting to drink again, which was, to me, a gift of grace. But then I read this in Bill's story. He said, I humbly offered myself to God as I understood him then, to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing. That without him I was lost, and I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away root and branch, and I've not had a drink since. That was what I was capable of doing. I wasn't capable of doing the paragraphs, and at that time, in 1984, where I got sober in Edmonton, Alberta, nobody was taking me through the big book. Nobody. They told you, get a big book, get a sponsor, get active. 90 meetings in 90 days, if you don't like what you hear, we'll gladly refund you your misery. <laughs> That's what they used to tell us, you know. But I had a desire. I had, I had a desire for sobriety the same way I had a desire to breathe. And I believe it's a God-given desire born out of pain and despair, humility, degradation. That's the kind of desire I had. I'm not talking about the kind of desire you have, like sexual. Right? There's no spiritual Viagra. You know. <laughs> Oh, maybe there is, but I don't know about it. <laughs> I mean, it's been so long, you know. <laughs> Thinking about Saturday morning, waking up and saying, Good morning, what's your name? <laughs> or, or, or trying to tell your friend later, I really loved him. What, what? <laughs> I can see some people identify. Yeah. So, I wanted to get down to the causes and conditions that had caused this horrific. You see, the greatest thing in my life was losing my children. That's what cracked my heart and broke my heart. My heart's never healed. It's cracked. But God has enabled me to survive and have fun and do everything. But I lost 13 years of my children's life. And I love my children. I love them. You see, I had had a backstreet abortion at age six, 17 in Scotland. That's a long time ago. And that backstreet abortion messed me up. And just before I got married, I had a transplant and implant in the fallopian tube to have a baby. It was an experimental operation. And they gave me 10% chance of having a baby, and I had two little boys. However, what happened to me is just after I had that first surgery, I had horrific infection 
and I asked for a Roman Catholic priest to come. He told me I had committed a mortal sin by having an operation that would enable me to have a child when God had said I should never have a child. And that took me so far away from the God of my understanding. Although I had been rowing away from God and the great sea of life long before that, but that was just the nail in the coffin. So when I lost my children because of alcoholism, I truly believed that it was God who had taken my children. I truly believed that. <laughs> Not it was alcohol. <laughs> right? Right? So, because I was always a reader, and because I liked Carl Jung even before I knew about him in AA, I didn't, I didn't know he had anything to do with AA. I remember when I was living in Jamaica and halfway through my drinking and knowing that something was wrong with me, I read one of his books and it called Modern Man in Search for the Soul. And that was one of Carl Jung's books that I read at the time. Um, Carl Jung um, used to read anything, any religion that would give him some inspiration or something that he agreed with. And he quoted something once that came to me that day, sitting in bed. And it was from, he said it was from the gospel, it was something Jesus had said from the gospel of Matthew. And what it was is, if you bring out what is within you, what you bring out will save you. If you do not bring out what is within you, what you do not bring out will destroy you. I loved that. Because I knew that what was deep within me was destroying me. And what was deep within me was this sick, sick self. William James in the Varieties of Religious Experience said to Carl Jung when they met in 1909 at Clark University in the US. He said to him, the only cure that I know for dipsomania is religiomania. <laughs> well, we could say spiritual mania, right? So I knew that when, when, when William James had said, some souls have to be born twice, I had to be born twice. And I had to be born within the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and the God of the understanding that I found here through the spiritual principles. I will find. These things came to me intuitively. And I'm so grateful. Because what I did was to take my mind off the pain. I prayed. At that time I had no concept of God. I didn't know what it was. I just knew that something had stopped me from drinking. Whatever had activated within me whether it was deep despair whether it had broken me open wherever it was something was stopping me from drinking and my sponsor when I said to her I wonder what it is that's stopping me from she said if you don't believe in God or if you don't want to believe in God then just pray to whatever it is that's keeping all of us sober in AA and that's what I was doing I was pray so what I did was I said a prayer to whatever it was that was keeping everybody sober and keeping me sober and said, can you please help me, if you're really there, to write out what I need to write to get rid of some of this muck, some of this grunge, 
some of this horrible stuff that's deep within me because all I want is a little bit of shush. All I want is a little bit of shush from the inner voice that tells me I'm no good and I have to drink to quell that inner voice. Has anybody felt that inner voice? Yeah. I mean, no, we're really good little puppies. It's just misunderstood. Right? That rotten old alcohol just screwed us up, right? So what I did was, or the other thing I had heard um, before I got shingles was, before you make an appointment, before you do your fifth step, or write your fourth step, call and make an appointment to do your fifth step, so that you don't waste any time in between, right? Because you know what we're like? We're the best procrastinators in the world. (laughs) You know, it's the story of the little boy that was going to grow up to be an alcoholic, and he said to his mom, who was an Al-Anon, Mom, how do you spell procrastination? She said, look it up in the dictionary. She said, I'll do it tomorrow. (laughs) So, I knew by some, I don't know, I, I, today, with the benefit of, of, of retrospection, looking back, I truly believe that the desire I had for this thing and the insight that I was given was a gift of God. Because the insight that I had was a knowledge that it wasn't anybody else's fault. That everything that had brought me to that point in time, everything was me. Mia culpa, mia culpa, mia culpa. Which is Latin for my fault, my fault, my fault. I had that. And yet prior to that, up until that last drink I took, it was everybody else's fault. Everybody in the world had been out to screw me. I was just misunderstood. When I was drinking, my favorite, when I still had something to play a record on, if you don't know what a record is, look it up. By the way, I don't have the dreaded lurgy. I just have um, rhinitis, which is horrible. Yeah, my favorite song that I used to play over and over and over again was George Benson, Masquerade. Remember? Searching but not finding, understanding anywhere. I'm lost in a masquerade. No understanding anywhere. But now, with this insight I've been given, mea culpa, my fault. I had also read the 12 and 12. And on the 12 and 12, it talks about um, where other people were concerned, we had to drop the word blame from our vocabulary. So now I've got to take the word blame out of my vocabulary. And I do that willingly. Because for some, something's happened. I just want to get rid of this muck. 
I want, to, I want for the first time in my life to see on paper who I am. Because I don't know. I realize that everything I thought about myself was absolute rubbish. Rubbish. I didn't know who I was. I was 40 years of age. And I didn't know who I was. Burnt my life to the ground. Had great despair because my mom and dad both died never knowing if I'd draw a sober breath. In fact, my mother had just died a few months ago on my 40th birthday. And my last call to her, I was drunk. And I went to her funeral and I was drunk and almost dropped into her grave in Scotland. When You know what, we're like drama queens. <laughs> you know? And I had all that on my conscience and all the stuff that my little boys had seen on my conscience. And I wanted to get it done. What? Why? Why? This innocuous fluid called alcohol that I see people buy at government department, government stores in Canada and my country. I see people drink with impunity. It's killing me, destroying me, burning my life to the ground, losing everything I have of value in my life, and I can't stop. And it isn't even working anymore. So what's happened now? Suddenly, I don't want to drink anymore. So I want to find out the causes and conditions that made me seek whatever it was found in, I found in alcohol. Whatever it did for me, I want to find out. And I want to find the solution. Because now I'm thinking about solutions. I have a desire to find a solution. I just wanted to find a new way of living. That's all. It talks in the big book about a design for living. I needed that. I was born without a set of instructions. I needed a design for living. <laughs> a few years ago, I, can remember, I was in Hawaii, and uh, the name of the conference was A Design for Living. And we were all in an elevator, and we all had our badges on, Design for Living. And this man and his daughter came in, who were not alcoholics, they weren't part of the conference. He said to me, are you interior decorators? <laughs> I said, I guess so. <laughs> right? So, 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 this deep, deep desire. And I realized, too, that I was on my own because <laughs> the most instruction I got, I remember the week before I got shingles I was at a meeting and I heard this old woman that I loved quote something from the big book and I said to her Helen, Helen, where is that in the big book? she said, read the whole book till you come to it <laughs> that's the kind of instruction I got <laughs> right? so I knew I was on my own So I've had what I now believe was a God-given, this is just how, this is just my perception. 
I had a God-given desire and hunger. A hunger. Unlike anything I had had before. To have this spiritual way of living and some relief. Because I, I knew that if I was sitting down doing this and I had made... The, the person I made the appointment with, by the way, was a Jesuit priest. I had seen his name at the Alano Club. He was a Jesuit priest that was also a member of AA. Because, you see, I didn't trust any of you yet. Because one of my biggest problems was trust. It took me a long time to trust. So I figured, also, I thought, I may as well go back and put this thing where it started. <laughs> Catholic Church. <laughs> Still blame, blame, blame. No. I, and, and, and I knew I was going to keep that appointment once I got over my shingles. So, I also did not want to be one of the rarelys. Has anybody read that, rarely have we seen a person and been afraid that maybe you'll be one of the rarelys? Uh, it's an inspiration. I don't want to be one of the rarelys. I just wanted out of my tortured soul. Now, I have used the columns many, many times since then. But what I did was, I read what it said in the book, and it said, some of us will never ever get really well until we tell somebody all of our life story. Because it was all of my life story that was bothering me. From age five, first stealing an apple, onward and upward, lying, cheating, stealing. I don't know if anybody else ever in here like that before they drank. No moral compass. No moral compass. And also a fear, horrendous fear. I had this fear of death. It was awful. I had panic attacks. And part of my panic attacks were because I hated myself. I couldn't bear to be trapped in myself. I had an unshedable, unburdened consciousness, self-consciousness. And I couldn't get rid of it. And I wanted... The self-consciousness that is not a good sense of self. It's the self-consciousness so everywhere you go you think everybody's looking at you and judging you and knows that you're no good, really. So whatever is keeping me sober has to help me here. The truth in my life, the using of people, the sweet relationships I had destroyed, no. I don't know if any of you have had the experience of breaking a promise when you had your children one more time and seeing the eyes of the child of the alcoholic, the broken promises, the broken dreams, one more time. This mother that's supposed to look after them, a drunken sot driving with them drunk in the car. How can we live with all of that? I've got to get rid of it. And I don't need to give you the instructions in the big book because they're all written down really, really well, aren't they? Right? So, I wrote everything that I could think of. I, the wonderful thing about doing something immediately 
after prayer is that whatever is sitting right on here is the stuff that makes us drink. You know, when I used to try and stop drinking for two, three days, and then suddenly all this stuff would come into my head, the stuff I hated most about myself. And then I had to drink to get some relief. So I'm sitting down and I'm writing everything down from when I was young. Pages and pages and pages. There was no form to it. It's just I had to get it out. Because I was living in the dark night of the soul. Because the old timers used to say, this is a soul sickness. So I had to get all this stuff out. Because my soul was black. Dark. I wanted some brightness in my soul. And I didn't want to be tortured. So I finished writing all of this stuff down. And it's funny, but in the writing of it, when I had this, whatever the hell it was, this mea culpa, mea culpa, my fault, my fault, my fault. When I had all of that come to me, I didn't have any resentments. I did <laughs> a year later. <laughs> when I did it according to the book. <laughs> but back then, I just wanted to forgive because I felt reborn. I felt, I, I, I don't, I mean, even all my husbands. <laughs> you know? So anyway, the first step that I had uh, decided to go and see, he was wonderful. And um, I went in there with my list and I, he said, just, you sit down and read out everything to me, and then I will pick up parts and we'll go over them. He said, and it looks like you're going to be here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I started to read out a lot of the stuff. And I kept looking for a reaction from him, because he's a Jesuit, you know, and because and, some of it was not priestly, let's say. <laughs> and, and then I would kind of hesitate, and, and the old me would come in for a minute and say, well, no reaction yet? Where do you hear this one, baby? <laughs> But I didn't. I didn't. Um, afterwards, he um, he started going over some with me, and pointing. You see, when it says the exact nature of your wrongs, I didn't know what the exact nature of my wrongs were. I had no idea. What are the exact nature of my wrongs? I was incapable of doing that at that stage. That kind of self-examination was way beyond me at that stage. I just wanted your relief and to know that I, for the first time in my life, at age 40, I'm sitting down and telling somebody, another alcoholic, everything about me that I hated. That's all I wanted to do. And I started feeling 
I was so ashamed to be sitting in front of this man doing this. And then in the end, little by little, piece by piece, the more I divulged, the lighter I began to feel. It's like carrying around a burden, a rock, a piece of cement. And you feel it here, you feel it. It is an inside job. You feel it from inside. And and he was so good. I was, as I said, I was willing to confide and hold back nothing. I didn't want to hold back anything. There was one thing that I wanted to hold back. But then I thought, what's the sense? And you know, I'll tell you. I knew even then that the next time I did this, when I was going to do it properly, according to the columns and everything, I would have more insight. And you know, I don't know if you're like me, but over the years, some stuff has come to me that I didn't even remember. Right? And, um, and it's taken me back to a fourth step. You know, long into sobriety. You know, I'll give you an example. I was out working with a woman who'd been put in my life to torment me. (laughs) This was the last job I had. She was a serenity test. And it was just me and this woman, and she would throw files at me. Throw files at me. And I needed the job. I needed the money. So I would just put on my best Mother Teresa AA spiritual stance. (laughs) And I would say to her, you shouldn't upset yourself like that. (laughs) Now inside, I see myself putting my fingers around her little scrawny neck. And just going, (laughs) but my sponsor told me to act better than I feel. So, (laughs) so there we are, and um, I need the money, and I'm taking the abuse. And one day I went in. And I guess it was a bad spiritual hair day. Um, (laughs) And as I walked in the door, she threw a file at me. I said, I went to the front door and I closed it. It was just her and I in the office. I said, God, I'll see you when I come out. A lot of identification here. Um, So, I lost it. I was 27, 28 years sober at the time. I thought all my rage had gone. For about four minutes, I had that white rage. You know that, that rage? I took her inventory from when she was born. (laughs) 
and then it finished like you switch off a light switch. And when it finished, I was so ashamed. And she's cowering in her chair. <laughs> and she said to me, I think you should go home, you're not feeling well. I said, to her, you go home, I've got work to do. She ran out the door. <laughs> and I started to cry with shame. Shame. I felt so ashamed of myself to do that to one of God's kids because it can be scary because there's a little bit of brave heart in me. <laughs> Still. <laughs> and I knelt down, I asked God to forgive me. And I called my sponsor. And my sponsor said, I told you, I told you. You're always staying in relationships past the expiry date. (laughs) I want you to go in tomorrow, make amends, give her a week's notice, and then you're going to do a fourth step on this rage at 27, 28 years of sobriety eh? (laughs) I said alright because I frightened myself so I did I took instruction and uh, when I did that fourth step I found out that, that, that the resentment I had ongoing and festering for that woman all the time I worked for her was based on the fact that she made me feel the way somebody had made me feel as a child. That kind of a helplessness, that kind of control, that's what spurred it. You know, and I, and, and I was able, you know, in doing the fifth and talking to my sponsor, to get an understanding of some of these things that are just so deep. When it said this is a lifetime job, it's a lifetime job. We don't get well overnight. You know? And, and, and sometimes it's just that, that, that part of us is just not right. When I was doing a, a sex inventory, well, it wasn't really a sex inventory, I was just telling this priest. <laughs> I mean, only in AA do you hear this stuff. I mean, it sounds dreadful. But anyways, so I'm telling this. I didn't get into the facts of it all. It was just various things. And um, oh, thank you so much. I just feel so sorry for myself. (laughs) Amanda, I'm just a poor wee soul. Anyway, so he told me that the sexual instinct was God-given. He told me, though, that what happens with alcoholics is that our sexual instincts just 
go beyond anything that is like normal. He used different words, but that's what he was essentially meaning. And he said, you know, he said, all these names you've given me that you can remember. (laughs) He said, it doesn't matter because it's all coming from one source. It's just the same old situation, just different faces, you know, same person, same situation, you know. I mean, what was his name? I loved him, you know, right? (laughs) And he said to me that basically what you had, you've been living in fear all your life. You've been living in fear of not being enough, fear of abandonment. He said, your whole life has been characterized by fear. He said, and you probably, (laughs) and I've had this one, he said, your psychiatrist is correct. He said, you belong in the DSM. You know what that is, don't you? Well, I knew that because I'd been in, I'd been treated as a manic depressive for four years. And all the lovely yum yums. Lithium, Librium, Valium, yum 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 yum. <laughs> but I wasn't an alcohol, I wasn't a manic depressive. Alcoholism, look, we have true bipolar people. I'm not a psychiatrist. But for me, my alcoholism and my crazy personality looked a lot like that. So that's what I was diagnosed of. And in our institutions for four years. Until finally, they said I have an abnormal personality and I'm an alcoholic. We all have an abnormal personality. Sorry to tell you folks. (laughs) The reason it says that we do all of this is because we need a change of personality. Right? contingent to bring about recovery from alcoholism. Why do we need to change your personality? Why? Anybody got an answer? Because there's something seriously wrong with our personality. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're not right in the head. It's just right. We're not right. Um, so being with that priest that day all those hours that he gave to me as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and not as a priest having somebody who did not judge me having somebody who didn't look at me the way people had been looking at me with such disgust and disdain for so many years And yet he knows everything that I can remember at that time that is apprehensive and horrible about me. And he's looking at me with the eyes of the love of one alcoholic for another. And saying to me that he won't get into specifics, but a lot of the feelings that I had, he had exactly the same feelings. And he spoke in a general way about what he used to be like, what happened and what he's like today. And he talked about, he spoke about the great relationship he found with God that he hadn't even found in his own religion by coming into AA. And he also reminded me of what old um, Father Ed Dowling had told Bill Wilson in 1935. That the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are very similar to the disciplines of Ignatius Loyola, who is the founder of the Jesuit order. 
and something that the priests go into do on a yearly basis. All the Jesuits go in and do this. He said, but the depth and weight I found in the book just seemed to do more for me. What a miracle this is we have. This, this holds the key. Because if you and me had not found what we found in here, where would we be today? Where would our children be? Where would our families be? This truly is a miracle of healing. Old Chuck Chamberlain used to say, uncover, discover, discard. I want to find the causes and the conditions that cause me to burn my life to the ground. And isn't this the only place in the world where a newcomer will get a standing ovation <laughs> for burning their life to the ground? <laughs> so, the priest told me, he gave me the book oh, we went through the book and then he told me to go back and to read it and to go over the five principles wherever that I had and what was it he had said something special to me that I thought I had written down oh I remember what it was he said, you spoke about the dark night of the soul. He said, what you've done here is shine a light into the darkness. He said, and you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. So then it says, Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the twelve steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Here's the thing. I don't know if my work was solid then because I didn't do it according to the format the first time I did it. I didn't know if I had omitted anything because I was too new. What I knew was I had relieved my soul of the stuff that was haunting me haunting I was beginning to know a little bit of shush little bit of shush and of course we can answer yes at that time I was I was good with what I'd done because I'll tell you what happened to me and then I'll finish having been on the street in Miami The shame and the degradation, the humiliation, the despair had me walk around all the time with my head down. 
I couldn't lift my head up. Okay? Coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, the old man used to say to me, Mario, look up. Mario, look up. Lift your head up. Even for the moment, if you can, lift your head up. <laughs> the old man, the men were great to me in AA. A few years ago, I said to my sponsor back in Alberta when I was talking to her, I said, you know, a lot of my sponsees are being 13-stepped. I was never 13-stepped. <laughs> she says, do you remember what you looked like? Anyway, I got out of there, and I'd always walked on the dark side of the street. Wherever there were shadows, that's where I walked. Because I really, literally, could not take the sunshine. I would find dark corners, dark alleys, dark places. I'm sure some of you identify with that. And when I walked out on that morning, I was able to cross the road and walk in the sunlight and later it said the sunlight of the spirit look right so I'm very grateful to be here I'm very grateful to be with you all and there's a beautiful little thing when we stop living with our tormenting ghosts, because that's what they are, aren't they? Tormenting ghosts. No God, that's spelled K-N-O-W. No God. No peace. K-N-O-W. No peace. No God, N-O. No peace. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.